Okay, um, it's, it's very different to have a, have a uh, sound system. It's uh, very nice to not have to yell anymore. Um, if if uh, you're new with us this morning, we are we are uh, we started a series last week on the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul first in, in in the book of Ephesians identifies himself as the author, then addresses the letter to the Ephesians, and then says this phrase: "Grace to you and peace <clears throat> from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." And last week we just got as far as the word grace. So. Uh, I took out my calculator, did a few simple calculations, and it looks like at this pace we'll be wrapping up this series in April of 2094. <laughs> so uh, you're in for. Uh, fortunately for visitors, you, you caught the beginning. You're at the beginning here this morning, so we're going to grow all together as we go through the book of Ephesians. I'm actually going to do uh, Grace uh, Part Two. Uh, and uh, that will be today. Uh, and uh, so maybe it, maybe it'll be even later than 2094. Um, but but at time, you know, Ephesians is more or less going to be a kind of a track we run on. Uh, I I sometimes get off track. You may have noticed that. Uh, but uh, you know, some things I will we're going to get. We're going to spend quite a lot of time on, and some things we're going to uh, go over a little more quickly, honestly, depending on how much I've seen of the Lord in it. I mean, that's just really, I can only share what I've seen. And, uh, and so, uh, but it's impossible to pass quickly by the word grace. Unfortunately, as we, as we mentioned last week, if some of you were here, by the way, uh, for, I, I noticed there's some new faces uh, you can always grab, if you want to catch up, uh, we have in our, I don't even know what to call it, we used to call it a bookstore when we actually had books and sold things, but now we just basically give away uh, books and CDs in it, and it's uh, right out the door there to your right, and you can always catch up uh, on anything that is usually the last uh, several months of, of, of teachings available there. Just grab it, it's free. You can make a donation in the little box if you want to. Uh, that's almost become a joke, but um, <clears throat> but you can if you want to. It is there to be uh, a possibility. Um, okay, so anyway, you can or or online on our website. Met, uh, what, what's the name of our church again? MarketStreetFellowship.com. Uh, all of our uh, teachings are downloadable for free, and you can catch up that way too. Just to let you know. But anyway, I was saying it's it's uh, it's impossible to pass over quickly on the word grace if we miss. I mean, he starts out with wishing uh, the experience and reality of grace and peace to uh, the church in Ephesus. Um, and if we don't see something of grace as it is in Christ then we might as well just shut the book of Ephesians and, and go read Huck Finn. Uh, because gra- grace is, is, well, grace is a word that I'm hoping that the Spirit of God will make a lot more than a word. I'm hoping that He'll, he'll make it in our hearts a reality by which we live and by which we do all things and in which we find the sufficiency of all things. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning 
Uh, everything, every spiritual reality has to be understood in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we, uh, we have talked about that so many different uh, ways and times, and, and yet it bears repeating. Uh, all spiritual things are summed up in Christ. There's nothing spiritual you'll ever experience that isn't Christ being made unto you something. Righteousness is never going to be something you do. It's going to be Him working in you. Bearing His fruit through you. Wisdom. The wisdom of God. It's not something you're going to learn. It's going to be Christ Himself being made unto you wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.30 Life isn't something He gives to you to extend yours. He is the resurrection and the life. Truth. I mean, we could just go on down the line. But everything has to be first seen and then understood and comprehended in the person of Christ as the person of Christ living in you for you and I to understand salvation. That's a fact. So, uh, I'm not going to review a whole lot of what we talked about last week on grace, although... um, might say a little bit of, of review, but we began to look at the reality that grace is a relationship with God that you have through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you're being joined to Him in that death, in that burial, and living in that resurrection. Uh, another way to say that might be grace is a relationship with God where you are granted Christ's death and burial unto justification and Christ's resurrection as your very life. That's grace. It seems to me that we often uh, preach grace without the death and the burial. And then we can never understand the resurrection. I'll leave that alone. But here's another way to say it. Grace is God letting you into Christ's relationship with His Father. But you only come to that relationship through you being joined to His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what this diagram, not that diagram, this diagram was uh, supposed to illustrate. Good Lord, that, that, is, that represents those who are outside of Christ. Uh, this, however, as maybe you can't see it, uh, it's just my dog bone illustration. I do it all the time, but uh, it's just the reality of, of, of you. Your salvation isn't having some relationship out. You're not this... Thank the Lord... This isn't your relationship with God. This isn't your relationship with His Son. Your relationship with the Father is being in the Son, sharing His relationship with the Father. That's grace. Grace, grace is you relating to God in Christ through death, burial, and resurrection. What's the big deal about this death, burial, and resurrection thing? Why do you keep talking about that? Well, I keep talking about that because grace does not apply to Adam. Grace does not apply to, to, to him, her, her, him. Grace grace applies to those who have come by way of death, His death. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you that live, but Christ that lives in you. You have been baptized into His death. 
Those who have come through that death unto that life, grace applies to those who are in Him. And you are only in Him by that way. Grace applies to those who are in Christ by first being baptized. We're going to look at Romans 6. But first being baptized into His death, those who have died with Him and been raised in Him. Now whether or not you this morning have a spiritual understanding of what that means... Uh, does not change the fact that it is all over the New Testament. Whether or not that has come to mean anything in your heart does not change the fact that it meant everything to the Apostle's heart. It was not just a doctrine. It was never a theology. It was a reality that he described in words that religion turns into a doctrine and a theology. But it is a reality. It is substantial. It is experiential. It is real. Paul, Peter, John, they, uh, they all, those apostles, preached a reality. They, they, spoke of, they spoke of something they saw themselves to be in. We mentioned this the other week, but they didn't preach from Ephesians. Ephesians came out of seeing the reality of grace and salvation that they've come to. So, uh, again, whether you've, you've come to see the importance of that death, burial, and resurrection uh, doesn't change the fact that it is, it is real and what we need is the Spirit of God to make that a re- reality in our hearts. Grace is always... The doorway to grace is death. The doorway to grace is... I'm not talking about the death of your body. We act in the body of Christ as though the, the death of the body is the doorway to life. No, it is the death of the cross is the, is the doorway to life. And that life works in you if you have come through that death. And I started to describe grace last week. I, I remember I told this story. There were some of you, obviously, that weren't here. I'll tell it real quickly again. When I was a kid, I, was, uh, I, I used to, uh, well, I, I used to go to this summer Christian camp. And, uh, and I remember one night, there was, we were sitting around a campfire or something like that. And, and this guy was trying to describe grace to us. And it was a cute little story, but it was just wrong. Um, he said, here's grace. He said, you're standing in the middle of the road and there's a bus coming right at you. And... And it's about to knock you down and smash you. And Jesus sees you on, from the side of the road. He runs over, picks you up, puts you safely, throws you to the side of the road, and then the bus nails him and, and, and takes him down. And, and that, that sounds very sentimental and, and very nice. But, but great, here's a better story of grace. The bus is coming at Jesus. You're safe on the side of the road. He runs off the road, grabs you, brings you back into the middle of the road, holds on to you as tight as he can, and the bus takes you both down. And then he's raised from the dead, looks at you and says, I can be your resurrection and your life. That's grace. Grace is going through his death unto his life. See, it's not, I know I repeat myself a lot, but I, I, I feel like you know, it just needs to work deeper into our heart. It is not, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm back. You know, it's not, it's not, He died so you don't have to. I don't know where we got that. It's just nowhere in the Bible. You bear His death that you might be found in His life. 
You're never going to find He died instead of you. He died for you, but that's very different than instead of you. He died as you and He died for you. He died a death you couldn't die, but He did not die so that you couldn't. He brought you into His death that He could then stand up as the one who was raised out from among the dead and say, the dead who hear my voice can now live. You hear hear what I'm saying? That's grace. That's grace. Grace, first of all, gives you a death that you couldn't die. And then it gives you a life that you could never live. And that's how grace works in you. Conforming you to His death and making you attain to His resurrection. That's Philippians chapter 3. The fellowship of His sufferings. He grabbed you, brought you into His sufferings. That death working in you. That bus rolling over you so that there is nothing left but Christ all and in all. I can't make that real to your heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that. But I can show you that it was real. It was very real to Paul the Apostle in Romans 6 and and, and Colossians 2 and Galatians 2 and Galatians 4 and Ephesians 2. It was very real. Very real to him. And it's a very real reality that he's starting off this letter to to the Ephesians saying, man, guys, you know what I want? I want you to know the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a good day with a back rub. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the grace of all that God has brought, you, brought an end to and all that God has raised up living in you. I'm talking about that. That's what I want you to experience. Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Christ has made unto us is, is death, judgment. An end. Again, I don't know where we come up with, and I do the same thing, I'm as guilty as you, but where we come up with this idea that the cross was our escape from judgment. Do you understand that grace, grace is God giving you judgment? A judgment that He can then bring you out of in His Son? Jesus, John chapter 12, verse 31-ish. Now is the judgment of the world. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. There is the judgment of the world. And now, all being dead, those who want to live, live in Him. Live by Him. Grace. Now all things are done by Him. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. To this end I labor and strive, yet not I, but the one who mightily works in me. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I ask through the power of the One who mightily works within me. Grace. I do all things by grace. I would never boast except in the things that God does through me by grace. Paul, I'm just quoting Paul here. Grace. But first it's a judgment and then it's an, and, and an end. And after that, after that, then, then, then there can be a beginning. After He is your ending, then then He can make all things new in Himself. But He's going to be an end before He's a beginning. He's going to be the last before He's the first. There's a verse, John 1.17, I think we quoted it in, in our Colossians class this morning. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, there's two ways to relate with God. There's one called law. There's one called grace. Either one, you and I are a vessel that acts as a slave. We may have deceived ourselves into thinking that's not true. 
but it, but it is. Jesus looks at the Pharisees in John chapter 8 and He says, Guys, uh, well, I'll just read it to you. It says this. <clears throat> he says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered Him, We are Abraham's seed, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say that you will make us free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever practices sin is the slave of sin. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 6. He says, under law, you experience God's relationship with Adam. In that relationship, you are a vessel enslaved to a nature that works in that vessel. You are enslaved to a nature working in a kind, a nature working in you. That nature is called sin. Sin is not a description of certain kinds of behavior. You hear that? Sin is not a description of certain kinds of behavior. Sin is a nature that works in the old man. Sin is a nature. Sin is a kind. In grace, you've come to another relatedness to God. A different kind of relationship with the Father. In this relationship, you are also a vessel that must become a slave of another nature that works in you. That nature is called righteousness. In grace... In this relationship of grace, the nature that works in you is called righteousness. Righteousness is not a description of certain kinds of your behavior. Righteousness is the very person and nature of Christ working in His body. You see, it helped me a great deal the time when the Lord began showing me that sin isn't something I do. Sin is something I am apart from Christ. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. Sin has a lot less to do with the thing being done than it does with the one that's doing it. Righteousness has everything to do with the one that's doing it. Can you hear that? Righteousness is not a description of certain kinds of your behavior. Righteousness is the nature of Christ working in you. Sin Sin is the nature that works in the natural man. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. There's all the difference in the world there. But on the other side of that coin, righteousness, again, is not something that I can do, but it is something that He is. And it is something that works in me, but it only works in me in grace through faith. Righteousness shouldn't be a, a word that we use to describe different things that, that we try to do or whatever. Righteousness is a word that has to do with a person, a nature, a seed, a kind that works in me according to grace and by faith. I know, I, again, I'm repeating myself. These are, these are words that have to be more than words. They have to be more than theology to be studied. They must be reality to be revealed by the Spirit. It's got to be that way. Listen, apart from Him, my goodness is unrighteousness. And my righteousness is filthy rags. Isaiah 64. Apart from Him working in me by grace, I can do nothing. I wonder sometimes if we've realized that righteousness is only the nature of Christ working in you by His Spirit and according to faith. Galatians 5.6 says that very thing. It says that we, through the Spirit, are an expectation of the righteousness of God by faith. By faith. It comes, it works in you by faith. So let me just try to say this again really plainly. I, 
I'm trying to just really hammer this home. Sin and righteousness are not things that you choose to do or not to do. You're a slave of one or the other. It's true that we commit sins, but that's because we're slaves to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus just just quoted that. And it's true that we in Christ come to bear the fruit of righteousness, but that is because, as Romans says, we are alive from the dead in Christ and have become slaves of righteousness. See? That's Romans uh, 6, verses 16, 18, and 19. All all calls us uh, slaves of, of righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that we're instantaneously the full manifestation of that righteousness. Now, we have to be... There's this thing called uh, sanctification. That is being set apart in the truth. That is walking in the Spirit. That is transformation by the renewing of the mind. That is walking according to His Word, according to the light. And the Lord taking out of our heart everything that He has already put away at His cross. But it does mean that everything that does not come forth from righteousness working in us is sin. If you can hear me. Romans 14.23 All that is not of faith is sin. What does that have to do with grace? Well, slightly off my topic, but I was just trying to make make the point of Romans 5 uh, verses 1 and 2 that it is through faith that we access the grace in which we stand. It is through faith that we access the grace in which we stand. See, we already stand in this relationship with God called grace. That's where we stand. We have been under grace. We've stood in grace since the day we were born again, since the day we were born of His Spirit. Whether we realize it or not, it was the fullness of God's Spirit granted to you and I through death, burial, and resurrection. Grace is a relationship with God where because we have died with Christ, we become a vessel of His risen life. We walk in the new... This is just Romans 6. I'm going to read a big chunk of Romans 6 here just so you hear it, you know, and advertise Romans 6 to you here. But I, you know, I don't want you just to think. I mean, some of this stuff kind of strikes us sometimes as so new and revolutionary. And yet, most of what I've said so far is just quotations right out of Romans 6. It just hits us funny because we all, because of how we understand the gospel. Grace is a, is, a, is a relationship with God where because we have died with Christ, we become a vessel of His life. We walk, Romans 6, in the newness of His life. We are slaves of righteousness. We are free from sin. Let me just read here. Romans 6, verse 1. What show, you, you can turn there if you want to. Uh, I'm reading... Uh, what am I reading from? I think I'm reading from the New King James or something like that. Whatever I cut and pasted in here. Uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? You know, that's like someone asking Paul, Hey Paul, is grace just, you know, should I just continue to just do my best and grace has got me covered? Is that your understanding of grace? Verse 2, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. See, there's the beginning of grace. There's the doorway of grace. As many of us as were baptized into Christ were first and foremost baptized into His death. But see, you're not raised up out of that death. 
he is raised up out of the death and becomes your resurrection and your life. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. See, incidentally, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but newness of life isn't just a newer life. It's new because it's the first time you and I have ever known life. It's the first time we've ever even tasted life. It's the newness of life because prior to this resurrected life, we have been dead in transgression and sin. So we walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been joined together, and that, that uh, Greek word there is actually the, uh, the word planted together, which um, the King James actually says that. It's, it's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. Planted together in the form of His death, we shall also be of His resurrection. I know that your Bible says in the likeness of, but it should be in italics. That's because it's added. Uh, to, for clarity, but in this case, it doesn't make it clear. Uh, it makes it more unclear, in my opinion. It it's, uh, it's really reads, if we have been planted together in the form of His death, we shall also be of His resurrection. Of His resurrection. So you can just take a little pencil and put it right through that in the likeness of. Because we are of His resurrection, walking in the newness of His life. I'm trying to decide how much of this here to... Uh, to read. I'm just going to read a chunk here, then I'm going to comment some more on it. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. For he who died has been freed from sin. There's that death again. But if we died with Christ, there's that death again. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that when Christ was raised from the dead, he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once, but in that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, count yourself. That is, know yourself. That is, come to understand yourself. That is, come to realize yourself to be truly dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. See, there's that nature seeking to reign through a vessel that you should obey its lust. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourself to God as one alive from the dead, as one that bore His death and now lives by His life. Alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness. See, you're an instrument one way or another. And an instrument doesn't play itself. Hello? You are either a vessel of one nature or your vessel of another nature working in you. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And the rest of the chapter just goes on to go even further into that. More and more and more. But it's, it's the same thing. But I just want to focus in here on this. I wanted to kind of... There's obviously so much more we could talk about there. Uh... Spending two weeks on one word, I just went through like 15 verses in, in one minute. So we could, we could obviously take that a lot slower. But I want to focus in on this phrase here. We are not under law, but under grace. I just would recommend that on your own time, maybe this week, spend some time in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, asking the Spirit of God to show you uh, some of the reality that is being described there. But 
for now, let's try to understand just this, that grace is a way of relating with God contrary to law where you now are a vessel or you can become a vessel, a slave, an instrument of righteousness. And righteousness is not better choices that you're making. Righteousness is, is the newness of life. Can you see that? That's righteousness. Righteousness is alive from the dead, walking in the newness of life. That's righteousness. It is a person to whom you have been joined in His resurrection. You are of His resurrection. And therefore, since you are of that resurrection, that life can work in you. Because you were planted with Him like a seed in that death, you are now of His resurrection and bear the fruit of holiness. And that's what it goes on to say later in in, uh, chapter 6. But it reminds me of John 12 where Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat dies and goes into the ground, it remains alone. But if it dies, it it bears much fruit. See, we come forth with Him. He is the firstborn of many brethren. You know, the head came out followed by a body. We just we just had a we just had a baby and 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 uh, you know there was a head first but then there was a body sharing the life of the head it all came out of death together the body was of the life manifesting the life filled with the life of of, of the head and in this relationship now that we've come to we can actually bear the fruit of the One who now works in us. If we come to know ourselves, understand ourselves, see, understand by faith. Faith, not you believing in a thing. Faith, the the very understanding of God working in your soul. See, see, faith is is not your understanding of a spiritual thing. Faith is, is, is the Spirit's understanding of all things being wrought in your heart. And then you can walk in the truth, walk in the light, walk in that reality and make manifest unto God the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of knowing Him, your life. Colossians 3, you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. How do I come to know that? Whenever Christ, your life is revealed, then you are revealed together with Him. Hallelujah. You are of His resurrection. I've been crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. See, this is the relationship we've come to. And now everything that you do to serve Him must be the outworking of His indwelling Spirit. The outworking of His indwelling life. It must be the expression of His nature, which is called righteousness. Not the nature that was crucified, which is called sin. And all ministry, ministry must be grace working in and through you by faith. Romans 12, 1 through 6, you can read that too on your own time. It's going to show you that that, that ministry is grace working in you by faith, according to the proportion of faith that is working in you. God is served by grace working in you or He is not served. Hebrews 12:28 Therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire 
You can only serve God acceptably by offering Him the fragrance of His Son. You can only serve God by giving Him His Ephesians 1.18 His inheritance in the saints, which is the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 1.23 The church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. Romans 12, verse 1. I just mentioned this. I forgot to put it in here. We minister to God according to the grace that has been given to us. We do it by faith. Grace is a relationship with God where you are now dead to sin and can literally be made by God into an instrument of His righteousness, an instrument of His Son. You can now become a living sacrifice. See, these words are familiar to us. A living sacrifice. We're bearing the death. We're bearing the death and releasing the life. We're bearing the blood. We're releasing the light. That's what you see in the tabernacle. Bearing death and releasing light. Releasing, releasing incense. The other night, I remember I was sitting in my uh, living room and it just, it just started to dawn on me in a new, in a new way. The, uh, I guess the horror, the absolute insanity of thinking that we can serve God in any way that we think is acceptable is appropriate. It just started to make... I, You know, you get a little bit of God's view on something and it's just, oh my goodness, things just start shifting and it's, it's like you, you see something and it's, 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 uh, it's good, it's disturbing. It's, uh, you know, this whole mentality in the church, just get out there and do something for Jesus. You know, just get out there and serve God any way you know how, any way you want to. It just began to appear to me to be so offensive. To, to the Lord. The Lord spent hundreds of pages in the Old Covenant detailing with incredible specificity the way in which the Old Covenant Israel was to offer up to God the testimony of His Son. It was incredibly specific. It was incredibly exclusive. It was incredibly restricted and precise. Why? Because God wasn't looking for Adam's ideas on worship. God was looking for a manifestation of His Son in every little precise thing that He was commanding from them. He gave explicit directions how to build, how to do, how to sow, how to kill, how to wash, how to offer everything. Because every little part of the testimony had to be, in type and shadow, in Old Covenant Israel, had to be something of Christ being offered up to His Father. Every little thing. Did you ever hear God say anything like this? Hey guys, go build me a tabernacle. Well, God, how do you want me to build it? Oh, you know, whatever you think looks good. Whatever you're good at. Tell you what, go take a natural gifting test. However it turns out, do that. Israel, go offer me a sacrifice. Uh, God, what kind of a sacrifice? Oh, whatever you can catch. You know, any old varmint will do. You know, uh, wh- wh- where should I offer it, God? Oh, gee, uh, uh, you know, front porch, backyard, wh- wherever it doesn't make a mess. You know, it- it's never anything like that. And you say, you say, Jason, that's absolutely ludicrous. But see, that's how we act in the church. Church, worship me in spirit and truth. How do I do that, Lord? Oh, whatever you think. As long as your heart's in it, I don't care. You know? long as it gets a lot of people involved and stirs up a lot of emotion, I'm sure I'll appreciate it. After all, I am a God of love. Hello. Church, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean, Lord? Oh, it just means find a, find a church that you like and plug into their vision. 
just means get out there and serve me with whatever you got? No. Everything of the old was required to be the specific testimony of Christ in order to be acceptable. Everything in the new is required to be Christ Himself in order to be acceptable. Everything of the old was required to be according to the written Word of God. Everything in the new is the manifestation of the living Word of God. It has to be that way. Grace is not putting away the old covenant. Grace is fulfilling the old covenant. Grace allows us to offer up to God the very spiritual reality of every sacrifice, every offering, every feast, every everything that He detailed in Old Covenant Israel. Grace doesn't annul the law. Grace allows for the fulfillment of the law. You know that from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, I didn't come to annul this stuff and put it away. I have come to become the fulfillment of it. Romans 8.2 What does it say? It says the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in you as you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. A very specific life, a very specific Son, a very specific Jesus being offered up to His Father through a very specific people called out to be a vessel of honor. And so, we now in Him, walking by His Spirit, can bear in ourselves His dying and offer up to the Father His living. And friends, that is grace. That is the working of grace. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 and 11. We are always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus in the body so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our body. Verse 11, For we who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our mortal body. You hear what he's saying? He's talking about grace. We do not serve God according to our own imaginations. We do not offer whatever is best in our eyes. We serve God in the putting away of the first and the manifestation of the second. We serve God in the coming to an end of the old and in the expression of the new. We serve God in being conformed to His death and attaining to that resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we serve God by grace or we don't serve Him at all. It is in grace and it is by grace that you are able to minister to the Lord the expression of His Son. It is in grace and it is by grace that God has given you something to offer Him. Grace working in you gives God back what He has given you in an even greater expression. The church, which is His fullness. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. But it comes from God. And it is God working in you. Philippians 2.13 It is God working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God provides the death. God provides the life. It's all by death. Remember Isaac. He's walking with Abraham to the mountain. Isaac says, hey, Dad, where are we going to get this sacrifice? Abraham says, God Himself will provide the sacrifice. And the mountain was called, the Lord provides. Well, God provided you with something better than just a pardon. Better than just forgiveness. 
He provided you a death you couldn't die unto a life you couldn't live. And that is by, that is by grace. I just want to close with uh, saying, saying one more thing here. <clears throat> and it has to do with the sufficiency of, of grace. What God has given you in and as the person of His Son is truly sufficient for you. It, it may not end all the, the, the tribulation in, in the world, but let me just say this, it is greater than the world. It may not fix the natural creation, but it raises you up out of it and seats you with Christ in the heavens. There was something going on in Paul's life. I've been thinking about this. Some of you know why in the last few weeks. Something, something going on in Paul's life that was extremely uncomfortable for him. It was in the realm of the flesh. We know that because he calls it a thorn in his flesh. Some people think it's a sickness. Some people think it's something else. It doesn't really matter. I'm sure that the Spirit of God purposely didn't put in there what it was uh, so that everyone could you know, relate to it. But... Uh, whatever it was, I'm sure it was quite horrible. Otherwise, I doubt he would mention it knowing the other things that he endured in his life. (laughs) What matters is that it tormented him. It buffeted him. It buffeted his body. It buffeted him somehow, one way or another. That word buffet, you look that up in the... It's like waves beating against the side of a boat is the, is the, the lexicon, you know, dictionary word for that. Three times, Paul says, I called out to the Lord for it to be moved. What does God say? He says, Paul, I'll fix that situation and it'll be sufficient for you. No. Paul, I'll pull that thorn out of your flesh and that'll be sufficient for you. No. Paul, in the future, I'll protect you from this and that'll be sufficient for you. No. What does he say? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, what I have given you in Christ as Christ is far more than you need for all things. Like Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I've given you something bigger than the world. I have, in fact, overcome the world. Paul, do you not know that, 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 that being baptized into Christ, I have baptized you into His death? Paul, Paul, don't you realize that though your body is buffeted, your soul is raised up, it's seated with Me. Paul, don't, haven't you seen that, that, that through the cross you have been crucified to the whole world and the world has been crucified to you? Paul, sight accesses the old creation, but faith accesses grace. And the grace in which you stand, Paul, is sufficient for you. So Paul goes on to say, you know what, more, more happily then, I will boast in my weakness because in my weakness I am made strong. And I can see the Lord saying, Paul, you know, it's true. You need help, but my help will never make you sufficient. My help will cause you to find the sufficiency of grace. Yes, Paul, I hear you crying, man. I hear you crying out to me. But rather than showing you some lesser deliverance, this time let me just show you the sufficiency of grace. Paul, I see your tears, but rather than doing something for you this time in the earth, let me show you what I've done for you in the heavens. Let me say this, and this I'll close. I'm, I'm serious, I'm almost done here. Grace will only be as sufficient to you as far as you've seen grace. If your understanding of grace goes only as far as a pardon from transgression, then that might be sufficient for a guilty conscience. But Paul needed a far greater reality of grace 
Frankly, guys, I need a far more greater reality of grace. So of grace by, by the Spirit revealing this salvation that we have come to becomes in you the working of that death that you couldn't die and that life that He raised up and offered to you as life from among the dead. If grace works in you that reality and that Son and that righteousness and that person, if that becomes to you sufficiency, well, then that's a sufficiency that is greater than all circumstances and all situations. That's a sufficiency that could sustain Paul in a dungeon for years. And that's a sufficiency that can sustain you and I in anything. But we have to come to know grace. We have to come to know the sufficiency and reality of grace by His Spirit. You'll never, you'll never plug into it with the natural mind. You need to fall on your face like a little child and say, My God, show me grace. Show me what you've done through this grace. Amen. We'll stop there. Why don't we stand?